you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. If you're following in the Chairback Bible, you can find that on page 977 uh, in the Chairback Bible. Ephesians, chapter 1, and we'll be beginning, we'll begin in verse 7 this morning. Verses 7 through 14 will be our text. In fact, we're continuing a message that we began last week in verses 3 through 6. We saw the beginning of this two-part sermon, uh, spiritual blessings in Christ. So today we see spiritual blessings in Christ, part 2. As we look at these spiritual blessings, I I wanted to begin by asking you a question. Uh, But before I do, let me not forget to pray. Let us pray. Father, as we come before your word, As one who speaks your word, as all of us who hear your word, we declare our need for you. God, would you speak to us? Would you speak through me? Father, would you anoint my lips to speak the truth of your word? Would you anoint our ears to hear the truth of your word? And Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts and our minds today. And Father, I pray that as we read your word, it would... Uh, you, would, you would lead us by your spirit, illumine our minds to understand and our hearts to love and our, uh, our, our lives. Give us empowerment to live faithfully following you. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the questions I wanted to ask you as we, we begin this morning is, has, have you received a blessing from someone that was unexpected? Have you received an unexpected blessing? Maybe it come, came in the mail, you opened up a card, and maybe it was a, an anniversary gift that you received from someone, and uh, maybe they wanted to gift you so you could go out on a, uh, on a date and take your bride out on a date, or take your husband out on a date, or, or maybe for you the blessing... Uh, came in the form of, uh, of I don't know, someone paid a house note, or, or, or maybe, maybe there are other material blessings that, that someone has given you in your life that has really stood out to you and made an impact in your life. Well, the blessings that we receive in our lives certainly are wonderful gifts that, that others give us, but the blessings that I want us to focus on this morning are not material blessings, rather they're the spiritual blessings that Paul says all believers have in Christ. We began last week with verse 3, and I I want you to to note what verse 3 says, because it continues through verse 14. Verse 3 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We jump down into verse 7 now, which says, In Him that is in Christ... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ 
might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Verse 3 begins laying out the spiritual blessings for believers. And it tells us, verse 3 tells us that these spiritual blessings that he's going to speak about in verses 4 through 14 are actually God's divine plan toward man. This is God's divine plan for giving man these spiritual blessings are are bestowing upon humanity the spiritual blessings. We see these laid out as part of the triune work of God in verses 4 through 14. In verses 3 through 6, we saw last week that the eternal plan of salvation is the Father's plan of election and adoption. That is, God has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Not only that, He has adopted us as sons. And we saw this wonderful, rich metaphor of what it means to be adopted as a son of God. This week we'll see in verses 6 through 13, the redemptive work of salvation is through the Son's dying. We see that Christ has given us redemption. In verses 13 and 14, we see the sustained inheritance of salvation comes through the Holy Spirit's seal and through His guarantee. And so this morning as we look at this text, I I want us to walk away from it, as we said last week, Praising God, because this is the point that Paul wants us to see as we approach this this rich doctrinal text. Look in verse 6. He says, to the praise of what? His glorious grace, right? We pointed this out last week, but secondly, we see in uh, in verse 12, he says, to the praise of His glory. And the third time, we see it in verse 14, it's to the praise of His glory. You see, the goal, Paul is saying, is that we would praise God as we understand the wonderful truth of his word. So this morning, I I want us not just to know the truth of God's word. That's doctrine, and there's rich doctrine in verses 4 through 14 for the believer to consider. But I also want us to walk away singing praise for God's grace to us in Christ as we understand and realize the truth of God's word. But then I want us also to live differently as a result You see, as we come to know God's word and as we come to believe upon God's word and and we return this 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 word of God to him in praise, as we have done this morning, as the songs we have sang were the very texts of text of the word that we have read, we return this in praise to God. But it doesn't do any good if we're not being transformed by the word of God in our daily living. And so God desires that our lives would be transformed. So the first spiritual blessing that I I want us to see this morning is that we are redeemed in Christ. We're redeemed in Christ and from the redemption that we have in Christ flow other spiritual blessings that we'll see in verses seven and eight. I want to ask you, what is redemption? We've sang about it this morning. What does it mean to be redeemed in Christ? What is what is the hope that redemption holds out for all those who profess and believe in Christ. Redemption means, as he'll say in a moment, forgiveness of sin. It means to be purchased. That a price was paid in order to buy something. 
I want you to get the picture of what Paul is saying. I think this story, I've shared it before, but I think this story is helpful for us to understand what Paul is saying about this doctrine of redemption. So if you remember it, rejoice. If you don't remember it, you get to hear this story again. Or you get to hear this story for the first time. In a city on the shore of a lake, there was this boy named Tommy who loved water and he loved sailing. The lake was a a significant lake. So big, in fact, that he would enjoy times of going out and sailing with his father on this large lake. But his fascination with, with the water and with boats was so great that he and his father spent months making a beautiful model boat. And he went the first day to sail this boat on the water's edge. And he had a string attached to the boat. And as he's walking along, sailing the boat on the water's edge, a sudden gust of wind came and he caught the boat and it popped the string that he had tied to the boat and it carried it off into the middle of the lake. And as Tommy watched, he watched his boat go further and further until eventually it was completely out of sight. And so as he lost sight of the boat, he returned home distraught, inconsolable, this project that had taken he and his father months to build that he was so proud of he had lost it in one swoof of wind so day after day he would return he would walk the shoreline looking for his boat but he didn't find his boat he would walk it in vain then one day as he was walking through town he saw a beautiful boat in the window in a store He approached the store owner, and as he looked closer, he said, can I look at that boat? And the the store owner showed him the boat, and and as he looked at the boat, he said, this is my boat. But the store owner said to Tommy, the boat now belongs to me. Earlier, a fisherman came in, and I paid good money for the boat. If you want to buy the boat, you can, but you have to buy it at full price. So Tommy ran quickly out of out of the store, the price that he had to pay was $5. And as he ran home, he grabbed his piggy bank and he vigorously shook the piggy bank, shaking all the money out of it. And he grabbed all the money he can, he swooped it up and he began to count it and he had exactly $5. And so he, he ran back to the store and when he had reached the store, he ran in and rushed to the counter and as he got to the counter, he threw his money down on the counter and he said, here's all the money I have, $5, now let me have my boat. The store owner, with a smile on his face, gave the boat to young Tommy. And as Tommy left the store, he was holding this boat in his arms with a large embrace, a smile on his face, rejoicing and joyful that he had finally found his boat. And at last, holding his precious boat in his arms, he said, now you're twice mine. First, I made you, and now I've bought you. This is exactly what Christ has done in our redemption. First, he made us, and then he bought us. The price that Christ paid was the full price of his own blood. And by his death, he purchased our souls All humanity is by nature in bondage as slaves to sin, as Ephesians 2 says, and we'll see in a couple of weeks. We are by nature children of wrath, sons of disobedience, dead in trespasses and sins. And we, because of our wicked nature, were unable to bring about our own deliverance. 
And so Christ did what we could not. He purchased us. He purchased us with an infinite price. Verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. There are other places in scripture that attest to this truth. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The second part of Hebrews 9.12 reads that Jesus entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. You see, this is the work of Christ. That he made us and he bought us with his own blood. The remaining portion of verses 7 and 8 give us three further blessings that flow out of this redemption. First, we see redemption in Christ grants us forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, this word trespass, it's synonymous with the word sin. You see, that's the next phrase, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And he goes on to say, according to the riches set forth in Christ. The word trespass, it, it means to sin against God. It means to break God's holy law. Scripture's clear that all of us have violated God's moral and holy law. And by doing so, we have sinned against him. And for that, we are guilty, each of us, every one of us, all of humanity, in our nature, we are the same. We are guilty before God and we deserve the punishment of death. Each of us stands in need, therefore, of forgiveness before a holy God. And this is the point that Paul is speaking to. That Christ has redeemed us through his blood, exercising, granting us forgiveness. He gives forgiveness of our trespasses. But, you know, try as we might in our own efforts, we can never, ever rid ourselves of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that we incur upon ourselves through our own sin. And the reason is because our sin holds us in bondage. The sin that happens in our daily lives that seek to hold us in bondage. But praise be to God through the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying that through redemption in Christ, all who believe upon him... There is complete and total and utter forgiveness of our sins. But outside of Christ, there is no forgiveness of our sins. The psalmist writes in Psalm 103, 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And then 1 John 1, 9, a familiar verse that we often quote in our confession of sin that if, we're, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, total forgiveness is something that's worthy of praise. Forgiveness in Christ brings freedom from bondage to sin and guilt and shame. And this is the point that Paul is driving home as he speaks of this spiritual blessing that we have through redemption in Christ. The sign read, posted, no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted. The context in which I first saw that sign was as a young boy when I would go squirrel hunting with my dad. We would leave my grandparents' house early in the morning, crawl through the barbed wire fence, 
across a big pasture. And as we got to the wood line on the other side of the pasture, we'd crawl through another barbed wire fence, and then we would enter the trees. As we entered the trees the first time, I remember seeing this sign. And as I read the sign, I grew more and more frightened with every step that we took into the dense forest. Immediately, my cap gun was no longer for hunting animals. It was protecting myself from someone that was going to shoot me. That was the context in which I thought and read and interpreted that sign. What I actually read in the sign was posted, no trespassing. Violators will be shot. (laughs) After gaining enough courage, I asked my dad about that sign. And as I asked him about the sign, he explained to me that the sign was intended to keep people off the property who didn't have permission to be there. He reassured me that we were permitted to be on the land because it belonged to our family. Because I was his son, I was protected and had every right to enjoy the land free from worry. Because being in the family meant I could enjoy the privilege of entering the land and enjoying the land. You see, this is the point that Paul is making for all those who are redeemed in Christ. For last week we saw, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This idea is that we, as redeemed in Christ, as believers in Christ, we are part of God's family. We have been adopted into the family of God. We We have been given this wonderful inheritance in God's presence. So God has made a way. For us to know the privilege of entering his presence. And it's by redemption through the blood of Christ. Which which grants forgiveness of our trespasses against God. I think this impacts our lives very practically. Beloved, as you experience the forgiveness of Christ. Later in chapter 4 verse 32. Paul will exhort us that we are to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. You see, church, as we experience the forgiveness of God through our sins and our trespasses, we then in turn are to return that forgiveness toward others as we seek to follow and live in the church as one people united in Christ. Secondly, I want you to see that redemption in Christ grants us overflowing grace. We see that at the end of verse 7. This overflowing grace calls us really to an awareness of our our utter unworthiness. We're unworthy to be adopted as God's sons, our sons of God, daughters of God. This is why Paul bursts forth in song and in verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace. Because God has given according to the riches of his grace. And here's what that means. It means that he gave from his unlimited storehouse of an overabundance of grace. He didn't give us what we deserved. Instead, he has given us Christ as Savior. You see, it's the difference between giving from one's riches and giving according to one's riches. To give from one's riches might look like approaching a beggar and giving $10 for a meal. But giving according to one's riches would look more like inviting that beggar into your house and giving them a warm bed to sleep in and a banquet table of food to eat and sitting down and dining with that beggar. You see, this is what redemption in Christ is like. 
for the unworthy, beggarly sinner. God, according to the riches of his grace, gives us what we don't deserve. He provides payment for our sin so that we could be reconciled to him and have eternal life. Church, this is worthy of praise. This is praiseworthy. This is why we, as the people of God, ought to be gathering together like we do today, singing his praise and declaring his goodness. This is why we should be living for Christ in our daily lives. Thirdly, the third blessing we see flowing out of redemption in Christ is that redemption in Christ grants us spiritual discernment. We see this in verse 8. It says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The language here describes how God's wisdom is lavishly poured out upon the believer. And by being a people whose lives are filled with God's word, he gives us insight into eternal truths that shape our lives. You see, we gain spiritual discernment when we walk with Christ, when we know his word, when we seek to meditate upon the truth of God's word, when we commit God's word to memory, when we hide God's word in our heart, when daily we wake up and our, our prayer is, God, I surrender this day to you. I die to self so that I might walk with you. Lead me, direct me. I'm your servant. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll, I'll speak how you want me to speak and I'll, I'll share with whomever you want me to share. I'll give of all that I have to make your name known. You see, the practical challenge for the church is that we would know God's word so that, as we saw last week, the purpose of our election is that we would grow in holiness and blamelessness. This is our sanctification. And so it's by God's word, church, believer, that you grow in an understanding of his will and his perfect will in your life. So we're exhorted in other places in Scripture, right, to to pray without ceasing, to set our minds upon Christ, to be renewed by the Spirit, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And all of this comes through the reading of Scripture. See, the spiritual blessings we have in redemption through the blood of Christ are first that we are twice His. He created us and He bought us. We have complete and total forgiveness of sin in Christ. We are freed from bondage to sin through Christ our victor. And therefore we can extend that forgiveness to others because of the love and the forgiveness with which Christ has exercised his grace toward us. And then we have this overflowing grace in accordance with the riches of his grace. And that we would exercise grace to one another is the outworking of God's grace already worked in our lives. And he grants us spiritual discernment and all wisdom and insight. That God's word would make us wise unto salvation. Wise unto living for him and, and pursuing him. Not only do we see redemption in Christ. The second spiritual blessing I want to highlight this morning. Is that we are united in Christ. We see this in verses 9 through 13a. The first part of, of 13. In verse 9, he says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? 
A.W. Tozer in his book on prayer speaks of this reality. He says they are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. In verses 9 and 10, this is what Paul is saying. When he speaks of the mystery and of the cosmic reconciliation that we have in Christ, Paul is speaking to the glorious uniting of all things under Christ. Look at what he says in verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. If you fast forward to chapter to verse 22 of chapter one, we see this fleshing out of all things being put under Christ. And it is to understand that Christ is our head. And as the head, he has all spiritual authority in our lives. And we are called to walk in submission. And so Paul speaks of the glorious uniting of all things under Christ, our head, by accomplishing his purpose in Christ. And first we see that it it involves the mystery of Christ revealed. God's mystery is revealed. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. This mystery that he's speaking of, it, it is that in past times, God had not made known his will through Christ. But now, currently, God has made known his will in Christ. He has divinely revealed his purpose and his plan in the person of Christ. And since God has unlocked the mystery of his will through Christ, we, the church, know God's strategy of redeeming the world. From all eternity, the Father cherished in his own mind a plan that was to be carried out in Christ. This plan was for the redemption of the church. But it was also for the cosmic reconciliation, the the reconciling of all things under heaven and on earth to Christ himself. So when he says in verse 10 that this was the plan for the fullness of time, this word plan, it's the word for stewardship. And it means to be a house manager. And Paul is speaking that, that Christ has been given stewardship of God's eternal plan for the universe. Specifically, that the mission of Christ extends beyond the human race to the entire universe. So this is because in the fall of man, not only did humanity become broken, but the very creation that God placed man over as a steward became broken. You see, Adam's sin sent the whole of creation into chaotic disorder. Adam's sin was the rejection of God's supremacy and and of God's authority. And so it's for this reason that Paul states in Romans 5 that Jesus is the second Adam undoing what the first Adam did. Through the first Adam, death reigned. But through the second Adam, Jesus, life reigns. It's what we sang about a few moments ago. This is the hope of, of being united in Christ. Because in Christ, we actively wait for the restoration and return of creation to creation's original harmony. And that's what Paul is stating here in verse 10. That as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. 
everything will be brought back under the unity in Christ, who is our head in the fullness of time. And so the first advent, the coming of Christ, his incarnation, it brought forth or inaugurated the messianic age, Christ's coming. And it brought forth the birth of the church, us, the believers of Christ, believers in Christ. And then now we're presently and actively waiting for the return of Christ, that he would finalize God's eternal plan. What's this mean for us, the church? It means that as God's people, we've been included in the plan of God. And that God desires to unite all things in heaven and earth. These all things refer to the regenerated souls of God's people, believers, all those who would profess faith in Christ, but also it speaks of the the, the created universe. It speaks to the fact that both Jew and Gentile are brought together in the person of Christ and that in Christ there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And it also speaks not only to the the redemption of humanity, it speaks to the reconciling of all creation to himself. So this speaks of God's sovereign authority and power. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And church, just as all things were created in him, all things will return to him. And it will be consummated in him. This is what Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. When he says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So here's the thing, church, as believers, we know this to be true. While all around us, things seem to be getting worse. Almost every day we hear of shootings. We read headlines of Nations staging up for some domination over their neighbors or some threat on the world scene. We hear of atrocities and we watch the unfolding of, of, of political drama even before our very eyes. And while many things seem uncertain, the hope that Paul is trying to draw our eyes to is that the church has a certainty. The church has a hope. Believers in Christ have a hope. And that hope is founded in the person and the work of Christ. That hope is founded in that God is sovereign over all nations, over the entire universe, and that there is an eternal plan of God being worked out, and that is that He is drawing us all under the headship of Christ to live for His glory and to live with Him for eternity. As the darkness of the world continues, the challenge to the church is that we would shine brighter, shine the light and the hope of the gospel brighter into the world. We see also the inheritance that we have in Christ. There's an inheritance that he speaks of in verses 11 through 13. And there's this there's this term that is significant that he uses that's used all throughout the book of Ephesians and throughout the writings of Paul. And it's this phrase in Christ. In fact, Paul uses this phrase some 169 times 
throughout his writing. And here's what's included in that term when he says there in verse 11, in him, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This word in him, it speaks of the new creation that God has made us to be. He's given us spiritual life, as 2 Corinthians 5 speaks of. He has birthed us anew. So when he speaks of being in him, he is speaking of this new creation that God has has written in the lives or birthed in the lives of all those who believe upon Christ. But also it speaks of internal transformation. We're changed internally when we become in Christ. So when we're birthed anew, there is this transformation that happens. And then thirdly, there's a oneness that we experience in Christ. We have a spiritual unity with Christ and with one another. There's no longer any ethnic or or racial distinction in Christ. We are all one body and we're all seated with him in the heavenly realms, he says. So the inheritance that we've obtained is to be counted among God's people. We are part of God's people for eternity. And we receive the blessings that he gives. Literally, verse 11 reads, we have been chosen as heirs, meaning those in Christ have been given a heritage among God's people. And we've been included in God's place and we are being brought into God's presence for eternity. This is the hope of the spiritual blessing that all of God's people have in Christ, that you and I have in Christ. And that God, in accordance with his purpose, he predestined, he foreordained before the beginning of time, this reality to all who believe upon Christ as Savior. And so verse 12, it speaks to those who were Jews, who by faith look for the Messiah. And then verse 13, it turns to to the Gentiles who have now been included in God's plan according to the counsel of his will. So the question is, how then does this inheritance, this salvation come to us? And he says it in verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. It was at that point that you were sealed. When you heard the word of truth and you believed in him, that's when you were sealed. That's when you received this spiritual blessing of salvation, of redemption in Christ. Let me ask you, who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you? Who is the one that did as verse 13 says in him you also when you when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him who's the one church that we are sharing the hope of the gospel with Romans 10:14 says how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching But that doesn't just mean someone standing and speaking to God's people. That means all of us living faithfully, sharing the gospel. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, hear this, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, what we've been looking at this morning 
is the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And this is a hopeful message of the gospel. But this hopeful message of the gospel is not one that we're to keep to ourselves. It's one that we must share with the world. That's why Paul goes to the church in Ephesus and shares the gospel and plants a church and preaches the word. That's why we seek to serve God faithfully. And that's why we seek to share the gospel with our neighbors, because this is a hopeful message. That's why we seek to share the gospel with co-workers and with fellow students. It's why we seek to live faithfully following after God so that we might have an opportunity to give a defense for the hope of the gospel that is within us. But thirdly, I want you to see that he says we're secured by the spirit. We're redeemed in Christ. We're united in Christ and we are redeemed. Uh, we are secured by the spirit. We see this in verse 13 and 14, the second part of verse 13, he says in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? The believer is secure in Christ. You see, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, the seal of the spirit. What does it mean to be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit? It literally means to be stamped by God's ownership. It was common in Paul's day for the owner of a property to stamp their seal on goods that reflected the ownership of their seal, or their seal reflected their ownership of those goods. It was sometimes used to seal a document where the document would be sealed and sent off to somebody and when it when it arrived, the seal would be broken and the, the letter would be read or the document would be read and it would signify this was the very word of the person who sent it, the one whose, whose name it, it bore. This is what God does in the life of the believer. He does this through the promise of giving the Spirit. This is what he means when he talks about the seal of the Spirit. This happens at the point of belief in Christ, of conversion. When a person believes the word of truth, as he says in verse 13, it means they believe not only the truth about who God is, but they believe the truth about themselves before a holy God. That is, that we stand in need of forgiveness from our sin and that Christ is the one who has provided the way. He is the one who has given his life, his blood, to redeem us from sin. We can take comfort, church, in knowing that when God has secured us, no one can snatch us out of his hand, as John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30 say. Jesus says in verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, I and the Father are one. There is security for the believer, for all who profess faith and trust in Christ. There is security for all who believe upon him. That is, our salvation cannot be taken away. But the guilt of shame, the guilt and the shame of sin has been removed for the believer so that we might walk in newness of life. Finally, we're secured by the spirit and that we have the guarantee of the spirit. You see this in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is given as a deposit in the life of the believer. And it's a promise of of greater installment or the final payment which is to come. You see, the Holy Spirit is the first installment of the Christian's inheritance. The rest of the inheritance is certain to follow because God has said it is according to His plan. And in the fullness of time, when God accomplishes the fullness of His plan at the return of Christ, when the age is consummated and we are all brought into the presence of God's eternal glory, it is at that point that we will enjoy eternity forever in the presence of God under the unity of Christ, both heaven, all things in heaven and all things on earth, the angels, the cosmos, we will all gather around the throne of God and we will worship Him and we will praise Him and it will be a glorious, glorious time. It will be a glorious existence. And so Paul says it's for this, these reasons of spiritual blessing that the believer, first and foremost, should live a life of praise. Verse 6, it's to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, it's to the praise of His glory. Verse 14, all of this is to the praise of His glory. Not so that any of us could boast that we have earned our way into God's presence. We have been granted permission to come into God's presence through the redemptive work of Christ. This morning, if you've never professed faith in Christ, if you've never experienced the redemption that comes through the blood of Christ and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ gives for the trespasses of sin that we've committed against God, I want you to know that you can profess faith in Christ. You can Believe upon Him. It's simply coming to God in prayer and recognizing your own sinfulness before Him. Believer, I want us to be encouraged today to walk in the spiritual blessings that we know God has given us in Christ. We've been redeemed in Christ. We are united in Christ. And we are sealed by the Spirit. God has given us of His Holy Spirit to lead us and to teach us and give us all wisdom and insight in living for Him. So let us be encouraged to live for Him and for His glory. Let us pray together. Father, as we close our time together this morning, we pray that You would be exalted. We pray, God, that You have been exalted. And we pray, Father, that each of us would yield ourselves unto You God, that we would surrender to your authority. That we would be careful to grow in knowledge and understanding of your word. And God, we pray that these spiritual blessings we have been looking at this morning would not just be knowledge for us, but Lord, that it would transform our lives. That we'd see that your forgiveness helps us to exercise forgiveness toward others. That your grace toward us causes us to be gracious toward others. That the unity we have in you unites us across any ethnic and racial boundaries, across all nations, that one church is unified in the mission of making the gospel known to the world. I pray, God, that you, you would work in and through us, your church, to lead us, to 
transform us and to shape us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this time?